Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast, uh, Bird Gang Noble. Uh, I'm your co-host here, Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And I'm joined as always by my co-host, Venerable John Venerable. Johnny, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Blake. How are you? Doing good. Hey, so let's talk a little bit about this game here with the Cardinals just because um, – as we've at least kind of talked about a little bit ahead of the show, we're probably going to keep a little bit shorter tonight. And that's because there's not really that much to talk about, John. This was a disappointing game again for the Cardinals and a loss. You felt like there was a chance for them to win it at the end or at least get back into the game down only by 10 points. Team kind of moved away. We saw a little bit of improvement perhaps in the offense at a little a good drive, at least in the fourth quarter, a little bit late and, uh, Actually, didn't do too bad in the yard. It's 269 total yards, still not near what you want from an NFL offense. Time of possession was a bit better. He actually had 16 first downs in the game, but overall, John, outside of the turnovers that were forced from Kirk Cousins and failure to capitalize, this was another letdown for the Cardinals where they let the opposing defense get away from them and could not make the plays on offense to win the game. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. And coming into this game, I think a lot of fans and media alike uh, thought it would be a lopsided contest, as did we. Uh, But I thought the Cardinals would have a little bit of a better opportunity to put ports on the board, uh, mainly because this has not been the Vikings defense of a year ago. Uh, It's actually a Vikings defense that's given up at least 20 points minimum the opposing offense. And so you think about the fact that the Cardinals come into this game dead last in nearly every offensive statistical category. And so maybe gives them an opportunity to jumpstart and build off of what they did last week, even though they put up 28 points, still lacking in the run game, still lacking in the passing game. And so what we learned in this game is even when you get a heroic, and I, I consider it a fairly heroic defensive effort in terms of turnover, turnovers and, and a defensive score, the Cardinals are still likely, likely to lose by double digits, especially when you consider – that they're playing what could be one of the best rosters in all football. Uh, offensively, you know, we'll get to the defense in a minute, yielding 27 points in the abysmal, abysmal run defense. Uh, but offensively, just a complete and, and total letdown again. Sound like, we sound like a broken record because every week we're going to come on and talk about the same kind of issues. Josh Rosen, I thought, played well, uh, given what he was able to do in the passing game uh, when he was given the opportunity to throw – Really, in the fourth quarter and stretched the field a little bit, he looked great. He's, he got the Cardinals down to the red zone two or three times and looked effective in doing so, throwing for 240 yards more than Kirk Cousins, had a better uh, completion rate than Kirk Cousins did, and then also 
threw for or more, more yards per completion than Kirk Cousins did. So by all accounts, outside of the one interception, he played, I thought, better than, than Cousins did. Now Cousins has these superior weapons, uh, and I think uh, just a, uh, I, I know a better play caller in John Filippo. Rosen right now is working with a mangled offensive line and then the most inept offensive coach in football, Mike McCoy. And that's where we start the show tonight, Blake. And I think that that's going to be the point of conversation moving forward, I think, with fans and media alike. Mike McCoy right now is probably the most wanted man in the state of Arizona because of how how much he's holding back this team. Uh, because you think about the fact that Larry Fitzgerald's got 39 yards receiving in this game, and you thought that this is probably one of the more effective games that he had. Uh, that goes to show you what a complete non-factor he's been this season. David Johnson, it seems like his only highlights are one-yard touchdown runs if and when the Cardinals can get into the red zone. 55 yards on 18 carries, 3.1 yards per carry average. Uh, he, he looks like a completely different back under Mike McCoy than he did under Bruce Arians, a far cry from uh, Offensive Player of the Year in 2016. And again, some of that is him shaking off the rust, but a lot of that is just inept play calling, you know, running him into eight, nine-man fronts. Just really disappointing on all accounts based on the fact that, you know, the Cardinals, when we talk about this, Blake, uh, from a personnel standpoint, have pretty good personnel when you talk about Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk looks like a, a big-time playmaker in the making. Ricky Steels-Jones is their best receiving threat at tight end they've had probably in the last 10-plus years. They've got an all-pro in David Johnson, and they've got Josh Rosen, who's fully capable uh, of pushing the ball downfield. And I think their, their offensive line may not be great, but I think they haven't embarrassed themselves so much in pass protection. Yes, they gave up some sacks today, but I think the majority of those uh, four sacks that they gave up were – via the blitz, maybe at least two or three. And so when you add all these things up and you talk about the offensive renaissance that's happening with that within football itself, and the Cardinals are not only they're, – they're not only not taking part of it, they're going backwards. It seems like everybody else is playing in a different league, playing a different sport, and the Cardinals are playing football of the 1980s, just not as effective. You know, they're not effective on the ground. They're not effective through the air. They have the lowest touchdown to turnover ratio in football, and it's not even close. It's it's jarring to see this how far this this franchise has fallen offensively. And I get it; they're not great defensively either, but they're not an embarrassment. They're not totally inept defensively, historically bad. I mean, yes, they're not great, and we'll talk about the the horrific linebacker play that's leading to you know the the inept run defense in a minute. But this is a historically bad offensive start to the season the likes of which if you're a Cardinal fan you've probably never seen and if you're an NFL fan and you've been watching the league this is probably something that the league hasn't seen in upwards of 15 20 years I mean you'll have to bust out the history books to see just how inept they've been offensively and how horrific they've been to watch but to me it's like it's not even close every week they're they scored 10 points offensively this week. They're going to get their points per game, per game margin up by default because of that defensive touchdown. I think it pushes it to something like 13.6 uh, points per game in 2018. It's, that's that's yeah, mind-blowing. It's, it's depressing. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about when do we think McCoy's going to get the ax. You know, I posted on Twitter, I don't think they have the stones to fire him on a short week. I think that's the only reason – he keeps his job. I think that they're going to get embarrassed by a Bronco team that shut down the Rams' offense today in a loss. 
And I think Mike McCoy will be fired this coming Friday from the Arizona Cardinals because uh, I think it would have happened sooner, but they got 28 points by default last week. And if you just read the comments from Steve Wilkes and then Darren Urban of azcardinals.com, basically like that we were, were, you know, it's, we're, we're majorly concerned and, you know, we're going to have to figure out the changes that, that are necessary to fix this. What kind of changes do you mean? You don't have personnel changes you can make at this point. The roster is what it is. These are the same kind of comments and conversations we've been having since weeks one and two. So the only other change would be to fire Mike McCoy and promote Byron Leftwich, which I do think that will happen this week. I hope it will happen, but I, I think it makes the most sense. You get the Niners on a, on a, on a long week here prepping Byron Leftwich's plan beginning on Friday. But I just I don't see them firing Mike McCoy and trying to implement a new coordinator's game plan in a matter of two or three days. Uh, I would still do it. I'm just trying to think in terms of what Steve Wilkes and Steve Keimer are thinking. But, you know, we, we've got a big-time coaching gap based on the rest of the league and what's going on in Arizona. The Cardinals, I think, by far the worst coach team in the NFL and uh, it's depressing because you know they have a lot more talent than they're showing in these games, and that only points to one thing. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think it was even looking at that. When you look at what the Cardinals are talking about, you can get a lot of times there's either shock jocks or sometimes people can jump or bail too quickly. I remember you know, some of the local media was sometimes talking up Matt Barkley when the Cardinals are interested compared him to Charles Barkley. Um, Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic today, at least, had kind of a write-up that summarized a lot of the things pretty accurately, where he talked about and said that the problem that they had, at least, was that the team collapsed in the third quarter, perhaps because the players are so discouraged by the team's lack of offense. And we at least know that <laughs> this team has done no nothing on offense in the third quarter. And, like, it seems like the team just knows – how to score in the first, second, and fourth quarter. And the third quarter, they just have been outscored now 42-0, to zero, which is not just an offensive thing. It also shows on the defense where he talked about how, and I quote from Kent Summers, the Cardinals have been scored 42-0 to zero in the third quarters this year, which suggests that Steve Wilkes and his staff have no clue how to adjust or motivate an intermission. Everyone can agree the Cardinals are a bad team. The only debate maybe is if they better resemble a train wreck or a dumpster fire, both cliches fit. So it's one thing to be able to hear that from – you know, just a radio kind of guy who's trying to insight or to write something out. It's different to hear it from a well-respected, in-the-know beat writer who rarely criticizes the team unless they deserve it. So for me, it was taking a look at how the game started. The Cardinals ended up going three and out on their first possession and ended up taking over, ended up getting a bit of offense after Kirk Cousins ends up um, – miscompleting a pass they go for it on fourth and two at the Arizona 42 like the play call for that one DeFilippo Uder Baker does a great job of breaking it up and then you look at Arizona having to get a field goal after being basically stuck after our first down with that one get stuck again on fourth and seven kick the field goal goes right back to the Vikings they end up having a long couple of plays for that one touchdown and they take a look at with the Cardinals back and forth where there's a couple of turnovers fumbles field goals Ultimately, you end up with the spot of once you enter the third quarter and the Vikings scored on the first play, I felt like it took the wind out of the system of the Cardinals. And then ultimately on the second play, that second score just basically, I see you were like, oh, it's game over. And the fact that you can say it's game over in the third quarter when we can go into the fourth quarter, it clearly was not over. just kind of seems to show that the mentality of this team and coaching staff seems to be waving the white flag a bit too often. 
You look at entering the fourth quarter, Josh Rosen takes the team, and maybe their best drive of the year, it's a balanced drive back and forth. Get a couple of long completions to Ricky Seals-Jones, who's expected to act as a tight end who can block. He really has, has not done a great job of that overall in blocking, but he's done a, a great receiver for Rosen. They go down, score touch, and all of a sudden it's a 10-point game. You've probably got about at least uh, – let me see at least how much time was left in the game. Yeah, you ended up having about 2 minutes, 48 seconds left in the game. Overall, by the time you get that touchdown, you're looking at, okay, you're able to get the you – know, oh, sorry, not too many. That was how long it took for that. You're at 17-27. You still got about five minutes or so left. Go back, you end up forcing kind of that three and out for the Vikings. At least you take back over, at least after the punt is done. You're at the Arizona 32, decent field position. You're not pinned at your own four-yard line. And what happens? You have uh, you get a second and ten for that one, a deep shot to Christian Kirk for 18 yards. It's afraid. Okay, the Cardinals are driving. You're at your 43, the Minnesota 43-yard line. You get a penalty. Offensive line play with that one. False start. You got your backup guard in, and that's one thing you can see, at least, is that the backups, things start to go down. First and 15, all right, incomplete pass short. Second and 15 for that one. You're sacked, basically. Daniel Hunter beats DJ Humphreys off the edge. Got to use – Minnesota uses their timeouts. Three minutes and 55 seconds. You're here now at third and 23. You're basically all the way back to Arizona's 44-yard line. You've got a chance at least of getting a field goal if you're able to go ahead and just get the ball back. Even if you don't pick up that, you know, fourth, the, the third down on that play, you get 20 yards in that play. You've got a great shot of being able to use Phil Dawson, get a field goal, make it a one-score game. Then your defense forces three, and anything is possible. What do they do? Short swing pass to Larry Fitzgerald. He's tackled immediately, minus two yards. Uh, Vikings get the ball back, and that's end of game. You never see it again. And to me, it was just like an ultimate sense of we want to basically throw the white flag. We're basically giving up. We're going to put our defense back on the field. It was a conservative approach, and they never got the ball back. It felt like you were in a position where the team could have won the game, and the offense and the coaching staff just said, you know what, we don't want to risk your real want to risk losing this game or potentially have it. So you punt it back to the other team, let your defense get marched down on again. And – that's it. So for me, it was the principle behind the play, not even the play call itself. It was the principle behind the play of the, even if the play doesn't matter if it works or doesn't work with the plan was, it just felt like this team was giving up. John, John, have you seen a team that out there that's still at least fighting over our weekend? Are you starting to have some serious concerns about this coaching staff and their ability to motivate? Uh, I don't think the defensive uh, personnel is giving up. I think that the scheme for whatever reason, is not being tailored to certain individuals. But, I mean, if you watch the defensive line get after it today, I mean, they harassed Kirk Cousins all over the field. I mean, the the defensive front four was probably the highlight of the game for the Cardinals, the play of Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden. Uh, Robert Kimdichie had a couple nice plays. Uh, Just Corey Peters continues to have an excellent season with two sacks on the day. Um, So – I think the front four looks fine, uh, and then the back four are very competent. Uh, yes, they got eaten alive by um, Thielen, but he does that to everybody. And then you've got Peterson basically shutting down Diggs for, I think it was something to the effect of 40 yards. Uh, and then Trey Boston leads the NFL in interceptions. But they looks old and slow and got stiff-armed. But, again, I mean, he, he's going to give you legitimate effort. I think the the linebacker play is just a, a complete mystery at this point. Hassan Reddick just doesn't look comfortable. Josh Bynes is a former undrafted journeyman linebacker. He's he's nothing more than a guy who occasionally has some some splash plays, some tackles for loss. But he gets embarrassed in the passing game. And Hassan Reddick to me is a player without a position. 
He was drafted to be a 3-4 inside linebacker. He's now being forced as a either a Will or Sam linebacker in a in a 4-3. He was not Maybe covering all that well today. He had some great plays he made on the line. He got his hand on some balls for that one. But when he was in coverage, just was lost out there today. Yeah, and he's the 13th overall pick. And so when people say, well, he, he's not meant to cover, what the hell is he meant to do then if you drafted him to kind of be your dual linebacker and never leave the field? And he's – I don't want to say he's undersized, but he's not, a you know – I mean, he is in yeah. essence, at least for that one. For an inside yeah. linebacker, maybe not. But you drafted an athletic defensive end who was light, who made tackles for loss for a living. Yep. And would get stacked the quarterback. That's that's like okay, you put him as a four-three will, who's able to actually run or be the strong side guy who runs up for that one and doesn't drop back in coverage a lot. And in this scheme, it just needs the linebackers to cover because it's all on those defensive landed defensive line. It's just not a good fit. Yeah, so I, I think that he is in a position coming into this coming offseason, assuming he's not, he's not traded, where they're probably going to shop him or they're going to have to decide whether or not to move him to rush end. Um, so defensively, I don't, I don't think anybody's quit. Offensively, it's, it's impossible to know what's going on because of the fact that Mike McCoy is just a sham of a head co- or an offensive coordinator and has just suffocated this unit to the point where, like, I, you know, I don't notice guys running lazy routes. I mean, like, and it's hard to quit also when two of your better players offensively are rookies. Christian Kirk and, and Rosen hopefully have a lot of football ahead of them. The offensive line, DJ Humphreys is play, is, looks fine. Uh, again, he's probably the lone bright spot in the offensive line. Hasn't given up a – he gave up a half a sack today. Daniel Hunter leads the NFL in sacks. And so he, he looks fine to me. Um, you know, Larry's never going to quit on this team. Uh, Chad Williams didn't have a lot of playing time outside of his initial reception today. And, and then the issue with, with Johnson, I mean, I'm sure David doesn't have a lot of uh, faith in this coaching staff, but he's getting his touches. And uh, I think he's dancing a little bit too often when he get, gets outside. But I, I, I don't know about quit. I mean, that's, a tough, that's a tough thing to, to look at the film and decide – whether or not a player has quit unless they're just openly loafing, uh, which I haven't seen yet. I think that we've just got – there's just so much confusion with this team and this franchise right now. They do they do nothing well. I mean, like, there are certain individual players that are having nice seasons like Chandler Jones, but they do nothing well as a team. They don't cover well. They don't rush the passer particularly well outside of Jones. They don't run block well. They don't stop the run. They have no passing attack. And so it's just like you've got, a, you've got like three or four individuals that are having nice seasons, and then the rest of the team is underperforming. And so, you know, it, I, I, it's mostly to me, if this team's going to quit, I think it'll, that'll happen toward the latter half of the season. I think it's a little too early for that six games in. I think they'll, they'll get a boost uh, at some point when Leftwich is elevated to an offensive coordinator. Just like, I, you know, the passing game is much more efficient. You know, stats aside, with Rosen at the helm, you'd be a blind man not to see that. Um, but I, I think, Blake, I'll go back to something you've been saying for a while. Like, I, I thought it was never possible for this team, excuse me, this front office to fire Steve Wilkes after one year. He he, right now looks so over his head as as the head coach of this this franchise, this team. I think it's I think it's a growing possibility that his job could be in jeopardy at the end of the year. I think that by default, he just looks like somebody that's in over his head in an offensive league and his ability not to motivate these guys. I mean, like, 
he should be having these guys run f- through a wall for them, at least defensively. And right now, when you're asked – when you've got two first-round linebackers that the organization is high on, and you basically either refuse to play them or you're, they're playing out of position or they, they just haven't grasped the, the, you know, this concept and they've been in this, this defensive scheme since April during OTAs. I mean, Hassan Reddick's been running this since April. And he looks awful. And you're giving up 200 yards rushing to Minnesota, who's the worst rushing team in football. Like, what does that say about your scheme? So, to, back to your original point, maybe guys are quitting because they just don't believe in the scheme. They sure as hell don't believe in the offensive scheme. Yeah, and so a lot I, of it I, seems to be the willing to also as far as for making tackles, staying in their gaps. They say a lot of it is kind of the willing to. And if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know why you're doing it, and if you're watching and seeing guys get blown up left to right, there's someone's like saying, defense, make a play for that one. You know because the offense isn't going to. Then it, it shouldn't be a surprise, at least, you go into halftime. There's no adjustments that are seemingly at least being made that's able to slow the run game. I can just see at least uh, maybe players aren't giving up in that sense, but I think that they're coming out of halftime, and whatever it is for that one, whether it's not adjusting or whether it's attacking, or however the way that they're managing the team, it's the opposite of what Bruce Arians did with his halftime adjustments, whether it was a mental or a physical one. That would be able to motivate and push the team back forward to be able to get those wins. Yeah, I'll, I'll pose this question to you, Blake. Do you think that, that Wilkes keeps his job if the, after this season if this trend continues? If the Cardinals only win, let's say, one or two more games, but they're not doing anything well to end the season? Yeah, that's what's tough because I think for me, I can't say that he would keep his job. And the biggest reason why is because if you talk about the offense and the defense, if you want to see obviously at least improvement and development in both your quarterback as well as the rest of your team and your defense. And if you don't see that worth, let's say you switch out with Byron Leftwood, the offense improves, but the defense keeps continually having the same issues and problems. Or if you switch out the coordinator and you still see the same offensive and other types of issues or decisions such as it's third and one, you're down by seven points at least in the fourth quarter, and you decide to punt to get it back to the other team. And you're like, wait, where did that come from on offense? We've been aggressive up until this point. I think that's the biggest thing that would concern you. And what's toughest about all this is like what we said, the rushing defense. This is something that six weeks through the year should have been fixed. So for me, if it's the same issues and the same problems and they finish at 2-14 and 14 or the number one seed, I think what they're going to have to do is they'll say, look, we're about to enter into a free agency period with tons of money. We're trying to lure free agents here. We have to rebuild this roster, and we're going into next year if we're not knowing who's going to be our next head coach at the end of next year because you're like, well, you know, it was a bad first year. I think that would be really tough because you might have to say, look, we may have to move on just because if you can't motivate our players, guys are clearly unhappy. I think that you're going to have to say, look, we, we can't afford to be able to keep them. And one of the things I could at least say that seemed to back that up for me this week was uh, with Gerard Powers sent out a tweet talking about how the trade talks you see time, and there was some Patrick Peterson and rumors that were out there at least today mostly from Jason Lockin for and not had any secondary confirmation in any of those which is the biggest thing but we did get some of that from some interest and sniffing around with Buchanan and even Reddick for some but Gerard Power said hey you need to add Patrick Peterson to us if you're rebuilding he's not at that point of his career he wants to win now so he said hey kind get on the phone and that's the part where you're like this is a former Cardinals cornerback who's saying, look, if you're rebuilding for that one, we don't want to have any part of this. And that's really what this is. Steve Wilkes came in, I have an article I'm writing up about, he positioned this as a retool so we can compete now, wanted to go out and get Sam Bradford and said that we could be a playoff team. Even after they brought in Josh Rosen, he said he believed that the team could go 9-7 and seven and finish winning every single game the rest of the way to make the playoffs. And so you're like, is this what he's telling the players? My God, those comments look so bad. Now. They look so bad because it's like, hey, we're going to be doing it. Yeah, so it feels like it's a bravado. And when Bruce Arians had a bravado, 
Colorado, he would at least be able to back it up in a lot of different ways for most of the time. Even when he was struggling, he would specifically say, hey, we're calling out this player. He's a performer. Or he would just basically like do that. Steve Wilkes is just kind of an oh, fall on the sword. And the fact that it's the same comments week in and week out, the fact that it's like, hey, we're one and four. We're, we're in a rebuild mode. You get the feeling that he just is in over his head. They don't know what's going on. The fact that they're not making adjustments, I think, seems to be the, the biggest issue with that. It's like, hey, coach, how are we going to stop the, the run game? Under Arians, I remember every single year, you'd even look at where the Cardinals struggle with the run game in the first half. They come out in the second half, and usually they would end up fixing or being able to improve it. Sometimes in some games against Seattle, you didn't see that there were some blown plays and coverages, but it was every once in a while you would see the run deficiencies. You're seeing it every single week in the third and fourth quarter, at least with this team. And the fact that they're not seemingly doing anything to fix it tells me that it's, here's the set, here's the scheme. You run the scheme, but you're not running it right. And so as a player, that's literally something that's, you know, telling you the same thing. I think what's going to happen at least is up the line you're going to look at. And this is something that Larry Fitzgerald Sr. even said was, you know, before Steve Wilkes and everyone came into town, his son was basically like tracking to, you know, not just as a Hall of Fame, you know, get a thousand yards catches per season for that one and his role has been just so reduced offensively and they've been so conservative it's almost seems like the because of the lack of how badly things have gone you almost kind of have to in some cases look at the PR behind it and just say we need to enter this new year with a new Rosen and recognize that you know it's okay to say that we made a mistake what's wrong is we want to hold on to that mistake too long and I think that's why you need to basically say let's put in left which as soon as we can get to that spot set up the offense and then we can find out was it really you know just a bad offense that was holding everything back for the most part and the defense just needed six or eight weeks instead of two to four to improve and we start seeing improvement in the team being able to you know win games but put up respectable or are we going to see that there's still the same issues and struggles and every single week that goes on you just keep losing faith in this coaching staff to make that turnaround especially when you look at a game like today where they just came out of the game and everyone's just saying look this is a coaching staff that just doesn't adjust <laughs> to, to anything in the second half no matter what it seems that you're doing to do it logically they just say this is who we are and they keep running the same plays again yeah and you if you think this this team's going to get better as the season goes on have you looked at their schedule the schedule to the end of the season is by far one of the hardest in the sport. You're talking about starting the end of the end of November. You're going to be at the Chargers, then at the Packers, home versus the Lions, a completely capable team when they want to be. You got to go at Atlanta, which the Cardinals haven't went at Atlanta in about two decades, and the Falcons have the best offense in football. Then you host the Rams. Your only hope is the Rams are sitting players a week, you know, week 16. Then you go to Seattle. I mean, like, you're not going to win any of those games. Your only hope, his only hope right now is to – you've got, in my opinion, the next three out of four games on the surface are winnable games. And by winnable, I mean, like, Cardinals can, can hang around – like the Bears game. Right, they right, can right. hang around and, and see what happens in the fourth quarter. Not going to blow anybody out. And I don't think they're going to be leading any of these teams going into halftime. But there's a chance they could squeak it out. The Broncos on Thursday – I don't care. Case Keenum on a short week, you've got a chance. I watched that whole game today. He is b below average, and I'm so glad that they've chosen to pass on Josh Rosen in the draft. Mm -hmm. And everybody tweeted me after I tweeted that that oh Bradley Chubb, he was a tremendous day, had three sacks, 
you, you can't score points. I don't care how good Bradley Chubb is. Yeah, you, you still lost overall to the Rams tonight because the Rams have Jared Goff and yeah. you know, Case Keenum. And in that sense, that's what it comes down to. Keenum looked awful. He runs into sacks. They have no answer. So um, that's a winnable game. Do I think the Cardinals are going to win? No, because Mike McCoy is their, their offensive coordinator and the, and the Rams, or excuse me, and the Broncos play great defense. But it's a game they can win. Niners at home. Uh, you know, on the 28th of October, that's a, that's a winnable game. That's a game I think the Cardinals are actually going to be favored in. Uh, at the Chiefs, not a winnable game. But then you get the dif- dysfunctional Raiders who are having arguably a worse season than the Cardinals, uh, one of few teams that are actually having a worse season than the Cardinals on the 18th of November. That's it. Like that, I think that'll be their last opportunity for a win uh, in 2018. Barring something unforeseen like a major injury to one of the remaining quarterbacks of the uh, teams you're going to go up against in the last uh, half of the season. But, like, the Cardinals not only have have an opportunity to lose out, those games could get ugly fast. At Seattle could get really ugly. We, we, we've talked about the disparity in talent and how lopsided the Rams games have been. At Atlanta, they could get completely railroaded. Same thing at Green Bay and at San Diego. I mean, like, those games could get 40 to 10, 40 to 20, uh, especially defensively. The Cardinals are going to have their work cut out for them. And then you, you can never factor in injuries to, to personnel. Older guys start to break down as the season goes on. So, I mean, like I was hoping that the Cardinals would show enough, you know, show enough progress offensively that Rosen could keep them in some of these games. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as McCoy's their, their uh, play caller, that's never going to happen. So, there's still an outside chance if, if Lefwich gets elevated and he runs a lot of what Arians would run, there's a chance that Rosen takes that. He, he could have the Jim Bob Cooter effect, uh, like the Lions with Matthew Stafford, and uh, keep his job and see things turn around. But, again, the Cardinals are going to be lucky to win two or three games this season, and Steve Wilkes will be lucky to keep his job if they get embarrassed to end the season which I think is a real possibility now. I never thought that Steve Keim would fire a coach after one season, but when you're watching this offensive explosion, when you're thinking about the likes of, you know, the the, the marquee f- coaching free agents that could be available, and by free, free agents I mean the guys at the college level who look, you know, tremendous like John – or excuse me, like Lincoln Riley and to a lesser extent Jim Harbaugh, like John DeFilippo who's going to be the hottest coaching candidate I think on the market – you're going to be appealing now with this young quarterback and allow all this cap space uh, and generally a, a front office that's patient um, and you've got nowhere to go but up because you're following Steve Wilkes, whereas Steve Wilkes is following Bruce Arians. I think you've got a lot going for you in that regard. But, again, got a lot long way to go. I still don't think it's likely. But if they're an embarrassment by the end of the season, I, I think there's, there's more of a chance it could happen. Yeah, that's almost why you really have to you have to make the move to uh, to Leftwich because if you're not in a position to be able to at least kind of take some of the training wheels off of this offense, be able to like even the biggest thing they were talking about today was we need to do more no huddle, more no huddle. That's something that we should have probably seen like about two weeks ago at least from Rosen, um, and be able to use more of David Johnson in the right spot. Again, they did not ever get into a position where they went and split up the team five wide, threw the ball to David Johnson. Did not see it. That's what people have been asking for. With Kime has asked about it, coaches have asked about it. Uh, everyone has basically said this is what the Cardinals need to do to have more success and we still have not seen it from Mike McCoy um, I think that that way you kind of hit the nail on the head also when you start talking about um, just the 
with DiFilippo, you got to see one of the plays that stuck out to me the most was when you look at Steve Wilkes' defense and they were driving down, there was two plays. One of them was, I think it was like a third down, heavy pressure on Kirk Cousins. Passes at least under pressure, puts it right into the right spot, at least the breadbasket for Thielen to go and make kind of a tough catch, but he still lands it. You're like, oh, wow, that was Josh Bynes in coverage. Wait, why is Josh Bynes in coverage on a guy who's, uh, you know, maybe one of the best, if not some people are saying the best. I think we'll want to see how that goes. But at least as far as effectiveness, this year he's been probably like the best wide receiver in football and you've got a linebacker on him. Very next play in the red zone. Play action pass throws it right in the middle. Oh, hey, look, it was Josh Bynes in coverage again. I'm Adam Thielen. They just recognized that and did the same play two times in a row, knowing that Arizona wasn't able to stop it, and they did nothing to adjust, nothing. And it was just this and this uh, this nagging feeling of when the Cardinals have gone into each of their games out of the halftime, each of the games since after week one and week two that they started with Josh Rosen. They've been in the game. The defense has at least given them a chance, and Josh Rosen has at least put up enough offense that they've got a chance. You look at – they're up 14-3 to over the Chicago Bears. They were up – excuse me, I think over the Seahawks at least. I know they were up 10-7. to Yeah, they were 10-7 over Seattle, 14-3 to over the Bears. Up, I believe, 14-6 to or 14-3 to over the San Francisco 49ers. They were tied in this game this week as well, going to the half of 10-10. Defense causing fumbles. The second half collapses – is the biggest reason why I think you may have to move on from Steve Wilkes because it's an offense that just goes and mired in not just mediocrity, but it's just playing bad for the third quarter. And the defense just lets up and lets the other teams either get back into the game or just gives up a lead where all of a sudden you're having to kind of chase their tail in the 46 to nothing in the third quarter being out 40, scored. 40, 42, 42 to nothing, 40. yeah. And that started at 28. They scored two touchdowns in the third quarter. And yeah, people were talking about the spread of the Cardinals were 10 point, uh, ten and a half point underdogs. There's a 10 points. The Vikings basically ran the football down their throats in a spot where Arizona needed to just stop the run in order to get the ball back to get a chance for that one. They were not able to stop the run. Gets to the end point. The Vikings could have kicked a field goal, but able to kind of, you know, take out if you took the over in that game for anyone out there who did generate gambler. But it was interesting because it shows that since they moved to Rose, and the Cardinals have had so much of an improvement from everything they've had with Bradford, and yet they're still being held back by the coaching. So you can recognize now it wasn't just that Sam Bradford was awful. It was that it was the coaches and Mike McCoy just designed the offense around Sam Bradford, and then Sam screwed and mucked it up, and they've been trying to kind of take little steps moving forward, but they're still not willing to take the commitment to be able to say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to admit we were wrong about this with how we've managed our scheme. Let's go and work with the players, find what talents work with them best. An offense and defense, hey, let's go ahead and say instead of leaving Patrick Peterson off to the side over here. Let's go and swap it, put him on the slot, on Thielen at least for a little bit, or maybe put Buda Baker on there just to say, hey, you two are going to just play man cover and then we can keep the rest of our team as is. It's not who Steve Wilkes is and for – uh, for you know, you can love the guy for that one, but he's like Bruce Arians, or he's he's very stubborn what he does. But unlike Bruce Arians, he's not stupid. <laughs> we saw that last year with, as you even talked about on Twitter today, we had an eight and eight team last year that Bruce Arians maybe is a six and ten team when Carson Palmer went down. He elevated them to the next level by adapting. He saw passes to the tight end we'd never seen before with Lane Gabbert back there. You saw plays that were designed just to kind of get Drew Stanton out on the move to be able to take plays. You saw flea flickers that were kind of targeted to get Larry Fitzgerald downfield. There's just more of this. Kind of creativity where it was we're going to take and manufacture offense and allow our defense to be able to shut these teams down and know that we can win games that way and you have not seen any type of adaptation from Wilkes and McCoy so far uh, let's go ahead real quick and take a quick break here on the Bird Game Blitz. We'll come back with our final segment of the show. Still breaking down some of what we've seen from the defense and also just previewing what we have coming up from it. And then the Mike McCoy question, is it going to be that he's gone with this week against the Broncos 
or if he does stay for the Cardinals, what does that mean? And we'll talk a little bit about some of the Cardinals trade rumors and some of the long-term prospects for this offseason coming up here next on the Bird Game Blitz. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Back on the Berging Blitz. John, let's, let's finish up a little bit of the talk on the defense, at least overall. We, especially with talking a little bit about the coordinators, because we saw that John Filippo, he was the guy that we had wanted as our you know, head coaching candidate. We saw some of the creativity, the adaptations, the use of the tight end. They really just abused a lot of errors in the scheme. It was almost kind of like an ironic or like a, almost like a I told you so kind of moment from Flip. What are your thoughts, at least, on what you saw from him today? Because even though the running game has not been consistent and solid, they still got 155 yards from Latavius Murray. It showed that out of the which team is going to be worse at defending the run versus running the football, that clearly fell to Arizona being the worst team. But talk a little bit about what you saw, at least from some of the play calling and how you think that might relate then to how the defense is able to handle it. Yeah, I think what we saw from John Filippo is what everybody around the league has been saying. He's one of the most innovative offensive coaches in football. He elevates what you, what you do well, and he takes your weaknesses, and he makes them that much better. They were a horrific uh, team running the football last year. They're actually slightly better this season, and you've, you saw that pay dividends today with the uh, breakout game for Latavius Murray. We'll see if that continues and carries forward, and, and maybe they're not going to be so quick to rush Dalvin Cook back from injury. But he's taken the game of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs to a whole nother level. Uh, it's arguably the best receiving core in football outside of Pittsburgh, uh, and their opportunity to really stretch the field and, and go toe-to-toe with the likes of Green Bay and uh, Detroit offensively in that division, I think is what stands out because I think we all just just assume that the defense is going to turn around, especially when the weather gets colder. Uh, but, you know, the Kirk Cousins edition, he's having a fantastic year. 12, I believe, 12 touchdowns to only three interceptions. And the Cardinals actually made him look, you know, pretty average today. Yeah, just they did batted balls and the sacks. They got some big-time pressure on him with a couple of the blitzes against a bad offensive line, which, you know, credit Steve Wilkes for that. Yeah, but he's also had the, had the privilege of playing for two, I think, above average offensive minds in, in Jake Gruden in Washington and now John DiFilippo in Minnesota. DiFilippo with that fantastic read option play, uh, oh quarterback gosh. keep in the end zone. I mean, just things like that where you don't think, oh, Kirk Cousins isn't super mobile. He's, you know, not a threat to run, and then he just kind of walks it in untouched. Um, just imagining what he would be able to do with Rosen and some of the receiving options that the Cardinals have. Um, and then defensively for the Cardinals, you know, again, it's, it's never a good sign when your safeties are your leading tacklers week in and week out. But with Antoine Bethea leading your, your, your team in, in tackles with 10, that's not a great sign. Boodoo Baker was fantastic with the, inter, with the TD and the two tackles for losses. But too many times, you know, he was up playing linebacker. 
you know, this second level for the Cardinals is just getting eaten alive by teams running the football. Um, And I know the defensive line, I praised them earlier, still not very good against the run. The Cardinals, and I say this every week, just don't have that stout, dominant defender up front that can really penetrate the run outside of the occasional flash play from Kim Dietschy. Corey Peters is more of a pass rusher, as is Robert. Uh, The two edge positions for the Cardinals, uh, Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden aren't known for being great run defenders. Uh, Chandler, I think, has has been much better than he was in New England uh, against the run. And some may argue he's been playing out of scheme a little bit this year, and that's why he's been less effective. But, man, you just talk about the Cardinals, for whatever reason, against these teams that try to run the ball, just play two down linebackers, and then half the time, one, if not both, just don't know what they're doing or they're getting, you know, driven to the ground. They're undersized in a lot of aspects, and so teams are going to see that on film. I mean, now it's out. The, the, the book is out. The Cardinals really under both Ken Wisenhunt and Bruce Arians were at least good against the run. They had Calais Campbell. They had Darnell Dockett. They had a plethora of linebackers that were interchangeable that did a nice job. Uh, whether it's Paris Lennon or Larry Foote or a lot of these guys that were average linebackers, but they could always stop the run. Now it's to the point where they can't stop anybody and any offensive personnel, any running back for any team's going to have a career day against them. And we'll preview the Denver game here in a minute, but like Latavius Murray is a, an average player in this league right now and put up 155 with 6.5 yards per carry against them. Mike Boone <laughs> oh, had gosh, one yeah. Mike Boone never sees the field for Minnesota. He had one carry for 20 yards. I mean, uh, it is it is to the point now where like wide open to, holes in the run defense. Yeah, yeah wide open It's ball. it's you know, and they they want to praise the running back, which is fine. They they do a nice job when they get to the second level of the defense. But, you know, you could fall forward and get 10 yards for in a lot of these instances. So mm-hmm. uh, we're questioning – we have a right to question everything right now because we've seen it. It's, it's not, because you know, not a changing. flip on the radar. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a trend now. Mm-hmm. This is the sixth game of the season, and they've been awful against the run in all six games. Yeah. So I was impressed with Filippo today, but I also thought the Cardinals – had an opportunity to win this game if they wouldn't have got if they would have had at least competent offensive um, production in today's NFL and it just didn't happen. Yeah, if you'd gotten one touchdown or even a field goal, you take a look at it in that third quarter, or if you'd limited or held the team to one point, you go into that fourth quarter and it's still a game. Instead, by letting the wind out of your sails, and then in the fourth quarter they kind of started to find Larry Fitzgerald on some back-to-back plays. He's still on track for 500 yards and no touchdowns this season, which is kind of incredible. When you think about that, they just not been able to get him dialed back into the game yet. Uh, I, I think it's also a spot of. When you're talking about with the play calling, at least with the adaptation, and like I was even thinking about it is good head coaches, even when they have bad talent, they're able to adapt and to make changes. I think of at least with, you look at 2013, Bruce Arians, the Cardinals get off to, I think it was a three and five start. They dump Levi Brown. They bring in Bradley Sowell, who's just a, a, he's a total liability at left tackle. So what do they do? Well, they start recognizing we're going to start running a few more different plays that are designed to get Carson Palmer out rolling to his right. We've not seen Josh Rosen rolling on the move. You get to even look at with Rosen in college where they're running a lot of RPOs where he's got athleticism enough where even look 
to Kirk Cousins running that touchdown. If you're on a third and two play, run an RPO. If Rosen's going to take off and pick up a third, a first down and slide, all of a sudden you have to draw a linebacker ready to protect that. Guess who's going to get open? Larry Fitzgerald now is not going to have uh, a safety and a linebacker that we're moving out. You get David Johnson moving this line. There's so many little simple things that the Cardinals offense can choose to do. And instead of spreading the field out, you take a look at how even the Bears today, they ended up kind of exploiting a lot of the Dolphins by spreading out a lot of the different teams that were over there. And then instead the Cardinals have tried to basically make it where we're going to have one single focal point that we're going to work through at least and just kind of try to funnel everything through that middle part of the field. And then that will set up the play action, kind of take the outside of the slant routes. And it's just been kind of a mess, at least, that you'll see. But Bruce Arians did enough where the Cardinals at least adapted and adjusted, even when they had no left tackle on the roster. You had the play call, at least, where they were, you know Carson Palmer had bad games through four interceptions. Cardinals are just nowhere to be found. Even when they're putting 13 personnel in, you know, three tight ends on the ground, they're not able to move the ball forward. <laughs> it just shows just how inept it is. And what we can talk about now is Cardinals now are in a position where they lost Mikey Potty to a back injury. He was kind of missing time at practice this week. And Justin Pugh, from the report, at least out of practice, he told, I think, Josh Weinfuss at ESPN that he broke his left hand. And so you're like, okay, so you've got a big money guard that you've basically are trying to build around for the next two to three years has not been playing well overall, at least according to pro football focus. You're not seeing the push. Breaks his hand. The Cardinals end up seeing Mikey Potty go out. You know, they've got Daniel Munyer and then another backup guard who's going to be a left guard. You've got three days now left before you have to play the Broncos with that pass rush. And so you're like, what is going to be happening this year, at least for the Cardinals? Because Steve Kime, at this point, you have to say, some of this is going to reflect not on just the choices he's made, but now he's got to say, what's done is done. He's going to have to probably like make a trade or try to bring some other guy in if you're going to see these guys out for extended periods of time because otherwise he's not going to be able to protect Josh Rosen. Rosen, at least today, he, he did play perfect, but he played enough in that it put the team in a position to win and ultimately is the defense that left him down. So, John, talk a little bit about with Steve Kime and then even with the trades this week with there's rumors of Patrick Peterson potentially being dealt, which made very, very little sense to me overall with that one. But talk a little bit about where you feel like the Steve Kime is currently with this team. It's, it's harder to say it after a loss for that one, but what do you think that he at least what you want to see from him as he kind of goes through and carries the Cardinals from 2018 and into 2019? Because I, I don't think his job is in any danger like McCoy's is or even like Steve Wilkes is. Yeah, uh, first of all, address these trade rumors. Most of them have been leaked out by Jason Lockenfor, who's one of the most unreliable resources within the national media. If this was coming from Adam Schefter or in the Rappaport, they, it would carry some weight, right? But and more additional, we've had other sources who've talked to me. He said multiple sources. There's not a single other source who stepped up and backed that up. No, there was at least every, three who were in the room yeah. hearing about with Reddick and with Buchanan. Those two made a lot more sense considering. Rappaport like, laughed at the David Johnson uh, trade, uh, you know, scenario. I don't know if Lock and Four floored it out, but that that leaked out this week. It's just like they just signed him to a contract extension. The amount of dead money that they'd have to take on just doesn't make any sense. So, uh, again, I don't I don't put any weight on Peterson because again, if you're if you're going to trade, I saw somebody float out before this podcast that the Cardinals should consider trade a reputable NFL reporter saying that the Cardinals should consider trading Peterson to Washington for Josh Norman. And Norman, because Norman knows Wilkes' scheme and that the Cardinals should insist on a day two pick. Like, that's the most, like, ludicrous trade scenario I've ever heard. Peterson has been a staple for this franchise 
has is going to the Hall of Fame someday, playing his best football right now, is under contract, ha, doesn't make that much money when you're about to have 70, 80 million in cap space. Like there's there's no weight to that. So a lot of these national guys are just kind of grasping at straws and saying, this team's struggling. Let's see what's happening. Who's not playing that kind of thing. Uh, here's here's my take on what I think will happen and what I think should happen at the deadline. Dayon Buchanan's going to get traded at the deadline. I think we're all under uh, almost they a certain – they can find a partner, yes. They can find a right. partner. Once trade for him, the Jets seem to make a lot of sense. There's other teams that could definitely trade him. Jets won against yep. with a rookie quarterback, unless I'm mistaken. Yes. I would say that Dayon Buchanan will be shopped and potentially moved if they can find any kind of compensation. Uh, I would, I would, I would shop Antoine Bethea at the deadline. He's an older veteran that I think could help a lot of teams going for a stretch run who were weaker at safety. I think if Atlanta turns things around, I think he would make a lot of sense. Um, doesn't have a ton of value, but if you can get a late day three pick, I would shop him. I, I mean, people are going to say I'm crazy. I, I would shop guys like Corey Peters who are having a great season, but are they really part of your future? Peters isn't under contract next year. So it's like, are you really going to give big time money to Corey Peters, who's on the other half of, I believe, thirty at this point? Yeah, and he's I playing his role very well, but it's not. It's also a spot of you can't. Yeah, like it, it might turn into a frosty record where you keep him for the consistency for a lot of stuff, but you might also end up being realizing that might be not giving a guy like Ed Oliver potentially time at the end of the year. Right. All of yep. That Olson Pierre barely plays. Rodney Gunter barely plays. Like you've got somebody in Corey Peters who's thirty years old who's going to have very you know quality production this year like you could get something for Corey Peters like these are the kind of players who are on the wrong side of 30 who don't have a future with this franchise that you could potentially get something for offensively uh, outside of the the typical conversations that we would always have about Larry Fitzgerald which they Michael Bidwell will not approve that trade there's nobody offensively that this team can trade Sam Bradford, nobody's calling for Sam Bradford, and the Cardinals need Mike Lennon to be active on game days. Um, so they so they don't pay Sam Bradford. So they're not going to trade him. They're not going to trade David Johnson. Uh, J.J. Nelson maybe could get you a day three pick, maybe. Uh, but Chad Williams has no trade value. Jermaine Gresham has no trade value. You hit, you've developed nobody on the offensive line that would conceivably give you any kind of trade value. So I, I would say that the players that could be dealt are – all on the defensive side, starting with Dayon Buchanan. Um, I, maybe, maybe I could see them trading Marcus Golden if if they do not intend to resign him, if the, he shows that he's able at rushing the passer over the next couple games before the trading deadline. That's the only outside-of-the-box player. Um, I don't think they trade Hassan Reddick. I don't think Kime's going to admit a mistake. Only uh, one value year. value would not be worth it. He'd be getting yep. pennies on the dollar. You're, gonna, you're not going to get anything close to it. Marcus Golden is the one player that is kind of outside the box that maybe you could throw out there. That is it because of how, how well Benson uh, Moyawa, I, I can't pronounce his last name, is playing. Um, but, again, Golden is the kind of player that you want to hang on to long-term too. And if you're able to re-sign him and get him at a discount, I think he could be productive for this team. So, Kime is under a, a spot right now where I think that he needs to make a couple tweaks to the roster, but you're not going to get anything sizable for a great return when you're talking about next April's draft. 
Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Oh, definitely. I think that's an interesting question. I know it was a listener of the podcast did pose to us asking about should the Cardinals try to re-sign Marcus Golden? I've tended to be a little bit on the, if you're going to be in the spot for the Nick Bosa category, looking at him coming off of an ACL, maybe you need to end up looking at trying to figure out what needs, because you may have to be devoting a lot of resources to the offensive line, a lot of resources to the linebacking core and the scheme he's a defensive end. So what I think is interesting is, is that that would have been kind of my MO. And then after this game and seeing some more of what he's done as far as being able to set the edge and contain, I think my mind kind of a little changed to where it's like, what would be the cost to be as far as with performance, with what teams are looking for? And the other question is also, if this is really a case where the defense is leaving, you don't know who the head coach is going to be next. So you might end up being looking at maybe not moving back to a 3-4. I don't know how that would work out. It just is a lot that's up in the air. But um, for me, it's always been if the guy they think is Ed Oliver, then you want to keep Marcus Golden because then he's going to be a valuable part across from Chandler Jones. If you got Nick Bosa instead, maybe with the number one pick or of another team you're picking second, another team takes a quarterback or trades up for that first to get Nick Bosa. Well, I think Perhaps that's interrupt you, Blake. I think that if you can get Golden to come back on a cheap cheap contract, and that that's that's a – that's a bigger question, you know, getting that contract in place right. for, for less money. You could almost look at it. You could still draft Boza, in my opinion, if you're sold on him, generational talent, and having him kind of be the heir apparent maybe to Taylor Jones with Marcus Golden flanking that opposite side. I mean, it's not a bad – I mean, the, the Broncos have done it numerous times. But, again, it's because you're so weak at the tackle that it kind of, it kind of becomes you have to take at Oliver if you re-sign Marcus yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And that's where there's so many holes, at least, that you feel like that are there. But like you said, the defense and a lot of stuff, I just feel like there's this underachieving. And a lot of the stuff, at least, the team has to go through and work and to rebuild. But a lot of it is like you can take a look at, okay, they need wide receivers. You know that they need linebackers with that one. We'll see where they go. They've got one of them down, maybe in a 3-4. You don't need as many if you're able to keep a guy like Marcus Golden in that spot. Maybe in a 4-3, you're just like, okay, you keep what you have for that one. You still have to kind of rebuild some of the parts in the secondary. But I think ultimately where this team falls onto is it's in a transitional period no matter what. And I think that if you want to – I think what you need to do is take the rest of the season evaluate who are kind of your blue chip players, the guys who are like ultra valuable, and then value just who are going to be kind of your regular consistent starters. And then you want to find those guys who are the impact starters. Up until this point, Dayon Buchanan in 2015, he was an impact starter. 2016, maybe more of a starter. 2017, he struggled, got on the field with injury. In 2018, he's just been, you know, just a, a guy who's been a backup. now. So I think you need to take a look at the Cardinals playing the younger players, playing the Chad Williams, playing a lot of those guys who are there. Putting Kendall Wright, at least, especially for some consistency to help with Rose's development, I think is going to be a big thing we'll see throughout the next couple of days, how that will work out. I know he's probably not going to be a go for the Thursday night game unless it turns into a must-win for Mike McCoy where they feel a certain sense of pressure. But I think that's what you take the rest of the season to go through of you still want to make sure you give Mike McCoy uh, not only sure that you give Mike McCoy his walking papers but you still give Steve Wilkes his time 
Um, you still give the rest of the team at least a chance to be able to gel because you don't want to be that team that gave up on something good too soon because we've seen that a lot with quarterbacks in other spots at least for the team. We've even seen that in Arizona where a guy like John Brown seems to kind of get healthy. Maybe that's because of the health, but he's moved away. You never want to see that type of success elsewhere thinking, oh, that, that could have been the Cardinals here. Uh, John, let's, let's go and talk about this as far as an area. What happens if the Cardinals do not keep – I do not fire Mike McCoy, I should say, and they do yes. keep him moving on. And we don't know if he's going to be there for after the bye. We don't know. Because as I said, after this game is you've got the uh, 10 days before the Niners at home. This is a friendly team. You've already beaten them once this year, a poor defense. Plenty of time to shift things around and give Josh Rosen enough chance to be able to ease into it, similar to the Seattle game. If you wait until the bye week, you're going to have to play Kansas City on the road. This is a Kansas City team that's really like, you know, taking it to the Patriots right now, not uh, up uh, as far as competing and doing well. What happens if Mike McCoy is still on this team where we go through this in the next two games or so and he's still your offensive coordinator? What are we to make of that? Man, it's, you're, it's like the Sam Bradford conundrum all over again because I just can't imagine that happening, Blake. Like, you can't be this inept and horrific offensively, mm-hmm. like historically terrible offensively, and keep your job. Like, I have no – like, I, I think I posted on Twitter that the Broncos fired Mike McCoy uh, around the bye last season, so it would be kind of right in sync with what they're doing. But they were – the Broncos were better than this offensively last year. I mean, the Cardinals are statistically way worse than the Broncos started their first half of the season last year. And they had a legitimate excuse. They were playing – like Brock Osweiler and Paxton Lynch at quarterback. And, like, they have legitimate receivers, and, and Case Keenum's not, not much better. But it, the, the direct result of their inept play was from quarterback. The Cardinals don't have that excuse. They've got an all-pro running back, the 10th overall pick, who looks great. They've got, I think, quality receivers, even though some may disagree. they got a, a tight end that can stretch the field. They, they've got an offensive line that may be, you know, statistically bad, but I don't think it's as big a liability as everybody else says. Like, he has to go. He has to lose his job. I can't imagine that taking place, especially when you're going to get to to face the Niner defense on the 28th, the Chief defense on the 11th, the Raider defense on the 18th. Like, those are bad defenses. And if you're struggling against those teams and you're still not making the change, then I think, Blake, what that tells me is that Steve Kime is basically saying – I'm going to fire everybody so it doesn't matter if they fire Mike McCoy. Like, I think that Steve Wilkes is, like, has to do some kind of soul-searching a little bit and say, okay, like, is my job in jeopardy? What do I need to do to keep my job? Just like Mike McCoy, I, I thought, needed to ask himself that question early in the season when he was playing Sam Bradford. What do I need to do to save my job? Oh, I need to play Josh Rosen. What do I need to do to keep my job, Steve Wilkes? Oh, I need to fire Mike McCoy and elevate Byron Leftwich and see what, what he's done. But see, the problem is, is like Steve Wilkes doesn't know Byron Leftwich. Mm-hmm. He doesn't owe him anything. He doesn't have a relationship with him. He was just a holdover because you know who liked him, the front office and Steve Kime. So maybe it's in his best if, interest if he does some, you know, some some uh, searching deep down and basically saying to himself, okay, like clearly the front office is high on this guy. I, me, Steve Wilkes wanted Mike McCoy. That's been a complete blunder. Let's move on and see what we have. And then maybe it can give us some momentum to end the season. Like the Cardinals just want to look competitive to end the season. Winning games, I think is secondary. You just can't be terrible. They are legitimately the worst offense I can remember. Second in the NFL. 
Yeah, based on schemes and schemes and concepts. Like it's one thing to be bad, and I will never hold it against a team that has to play its backup quarterback and they're just like straight terrible. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be bad when you're playing a quarterback who has no business starting. But when you've got talent, when everybody nationally and locally are saying they're way better than their talent is performing, then that's directly a result on you, the coach. So I think that Steve Wilkes will fire Mike McCoy in the next probably seven days. The next time we do this podcast, I expect him to be fired, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's Friday. I think it will happen because I think Denver, when you talk about Chubb and Von Miller and the corners that they have and the pressure that they'll put on this team and the home crowd that's going to get on this team about to be one in six and historically the worst offense we've seen in 15, 20 years, I think that's going to be enough for Steve Kime to basically, if, if Steve Wilkes doesn't make this decision to Steve Kime to, to make it for him, I just can't imagine him lasting longer than the bye. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it says a whole lot as far as if you do, for what it would tell me a lot is that they don't not have a lot of faith in Byron left, which would be the biggest thing that would tell me. But if, and I, I do think that would also be a, we don't really want to see what Byron Leftwich has. You'd be almost kind of starting from scratch from them every aspect, at least I would assume from the end of the season, which might be a total type of gutting at least now. So you kind of, he's going to stick around be there with the team. I don't think he's going to be in any danger, but it might be that you're right. It might be that he has to put pressure on Steve Wilkes and say, look, we have to let go of Mike. This is just how it is. And when you look at the way the Vikings game stacked up, I thought that the Cardinals were going to keep it a bit closer. I thought the Vikings did run away with it in the third quarter obviously, but the uh, a lot of the things like that we thought of who this team was came out to play. What's interesting is the Broncos' strengths, for the most part, their defense hasn't been as strong overall this year as it's been in years past. They've been kind of getting a little bit longer in the tooth. Their offense is built solely around running the ball. You can look at the Phillip Lindsay running the ball. Um, you look at the Oregon back that they had that came out. Each of those two team strengths that they have ultimately – just do not favor the Cardinals at all. Like if you're the Cardinals, you could probably go ahead and try to run on them with the Broncos. But this is just a game where you've got, you're down two of your starting guards probably for the week, maybe one for the season, uh, unless he decides to put a club on, that's still going to be difficult at least for Justin Pugh. You're going up against a team on a Thursday, a couple of days rest, you'll have the advantage because you're the home crew, but this is a potential at least to have it where the Broncos go out and run the football strong on the Cardinals in the first half, and Arizona's not able to make a whole lot. If you end up in a sloppy Thursday night game against a team that, you know, the, the fans that they had in, uh, in Denver today, they basically booed Case Keenum, and they cheered when Chad Kelly came in just to take a knee going into the half. They are basically sick of the quarterback play and the losing that's been going on there. There's a tension that you'll have from that coaching staff of desperation. I have not felt that same sense of desperation from any of the Cardinals coaches outside of maybe the one aggressive play call that Steve Welch made to Mike McCoy where on fourth and two they basically just threw the ball deep to Larry Fitzgerald kind of trying to catch him off guard uh it bounces off of Fitz's face mask he just doesn't come down with it at least the same way I'm not sure if there was you know you can always talk about it fault for that one it was like a rare aggressive move that you at least saw but on fourth and two to take a deep shot it was like that was kind of the Bruce Arians type of mode that we had it wasn't the type of creativity or areas you saw at least they gave it a try but I just have the feeling at least the Cardinals are going to go in Broncos fans are already predicting the Broncos are going to win Uh, I would back up at least for that sentiment I think the Broncos at least are going to go in probably about 24 to 13 against Arizona I think they'll just get up at least with maybe by two touchdowns with running the ball the first quarter maybe you'll end up seeing a a pass play at least for the they've got at least a pretty solid rookie 
wide receiver as well. Though Christian Kirk did lead the team in targets at a beautiful 35-yard catch earlier today. I think that's a connection to watch and grow. But, uh, John, I don't, I don't see the Cardinals really just having a chance in this Broncos game, given what the strengths are and given where this team is. And I, I think I agree with you is that this may be a game that the Broncos and Cardinals both come into recognizing that if they don't win this game, they may have to make some major – changes to their coaching staff. I mean, I would think that if the Cardinals win this game, you're going to start talking about the Broncos moving on from Vance Joseph, just as you talk about Arizona moving on from Mike McCoy. Yeah, I think Vance Joseph, that's a great point. I think Vance Joseph probably gets fired. Uh, you know, I always wanted to fire him after this past off season and didn't. Uh, and basically uh, is that he's at a game per game kind of situation. Uh, so I think that somebody's going to get fired as a result uh, come, you know, the Friday news dump in the NFL, either uh, Mike McCoy or Vance Joseph, that's a, that's a good kind of over-under who's going to get fired uh, and will a coach get fired. I, I think that, yes, in fact, one of those two coaches is going to lose his job uh, this week uh, this week or weekend. Uh, I hope that it is Vance Joseph just because I, I want the Cardinals to do well. I want them to win. But my gut tells me it's Mike McCoy because I just – I can't see the, – the, the Chiefs pass – or excuse me, the Denver's Broncos pass rush is going to travel. I mean, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are going to watch the tape of today and see what Daniel Hunter did and say, okay, we've got an opportunity to really rush Andre Smith and DJ Humphreys. Um, and so it's going to be up to the Cardinals to game plan for that. And I'm sure that you think about the, the fact that the Broncos have one of the better pass rushes in the league – and I'm sure it will, you know, come to the mind of Mike McCoy and basically say, oh, we have to go mass protects and go ultra conservative because we have to worry about the Broncos pass rush. Well, that could lead to even more, you know, horrific offensive play, in my opinion. So I, um, I think the Broncos are just too sound defensively for the Cardinals to put up 20 points on them. And I, I, would, I would say that if we're talking predictions now – I think Denver is going to have a tough time scoring points outside of running the ball, but I think they're going to go run heavy. I think they've got a couple nice pieces on the offensive line that are going to give the Cardinals uh, front seven problems. So I think that at the end of the day, I think it's going to be similar to what we saw in the Bears game. Uh, I think the Cardinals are going to lose something to the effect of like 20 to 10 on Thursday night football. It's going to be one of the uglier Thursday night games. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, this is not going to be a shootout. You look at the Broncos today, they've got a 2-4 and four record. They entered it at halftime, only had three points, but they held the Rams overall to 13. They had, the running game was helping, was getting gashed for that. There was inconsistency uh, as far as for the Broncos themselves being able to run the football. But you still look at where the strengths and weaknesses are. The Cardinals faced the 31-ranked rushing defense, at least, or rushing, I should say, rushing attack this year. And the, the Broncos, the credit, he's came in, he still threw for 322 yards and two touchdowns. They made it a game in the second half. They scored 17 points in the second half, finished at 20. They're only three points behind the Rams, who are now 6-0. and Rams maybe played down a little bit to their competition, but that defense stepped up, at least in the second half after the third quarter. And they made it a closer game at the end, putting up 10 points in the fourth quarter. I think what will happen is, is that the similarly is that the – Broncos will basically get up with running the football because Cardinals are just used to getting gashed up the middle. I don't know if Kandichi is going to be able to be as effective, at least without as much rest. We'll have to see how that goes out with the team. But I think the Broncos will basically get up to at least a 10, maybe a 10-point lead, maybe one touchdown. Maybe it's even 6-0, to zero and it's just an uglier game with that one. Cardinals, I think, will struggle at least where – once they, and this is a point I noticed, is I think they do get a touchdown in the first quarter because – 
We've seen that from each week. The Cardinals seem to at least score for the most part. They even went for it on fourth down and couldn't get it up the middle. But they usually, when they're on script, Mike McCoy's play calling in the first quarter has been pretty fine. It's not been like you're like saying that this, there's no complaints that you have about the play calling in the first quarter because you look at the Bears game, two touchdowns that were quick. You look at the Niners game last year. The designs, when there's that type of structure has been set, is fine. It's whenever they get off script and McCoy has to basically go and either call the plays that they have for the rest of the game that's where everything just goes kind of haywire. Not that you're causing or having turnovers that are there, but just the malaise that sets in at least where it's just mediocre, at least it's the best that you can hope for. And usually it's just plain bad. So I think that if I had to pick a game, I would be similar. I think I'll go maybe a little bit where it's 23 to, I would probably say 23 to 17 Broncos, but I think the Cardinals only get that next touchdown late in the game. I think that for the most part, they go into the half down by I think 20 to maybe six or so. Um, And I think that it's just going to be an area where, they're actually going to be down going into the offensive struggles. That's going to be really concerning for Mike McCoy because it means the defense isn't stepping up and making plays. I think that on the, the week rest, they didn't. They fortunately didn't play 90 snaps. They only played about 70 or so. So that's some improvement from getting off the field, some improvement, especially on the offensive side. But I think you're going to end up looking at it. This is a game that's going to get a bit sloppy. There might be a few more fumbles. I think the Broncos' defense will really put it to Arizona early because they won't have a whole lot they can do early. I think you end up with a 23 17 Broncos game and afterwards all people are going to be talking about is gosh that offense just looked terrible on the third and fourth quarter they ended up kind of making a little bit of a play or two with that one but you're just going to be talking mostly about how Broncos were able to run the ball on the Cardinals for about 200 or so yards because I think that's that's what they'll do on that Thursday night game all right John any last thoughts before we kind of head out for this evening with the Cardinals I know we've talked a whole lot about where this team is and a lot of it is just the same calls week to week overall it's just it's, it's not much but try to see if we can get back in touch. We'll see when it is after the Thursday game, and then we'll be kind of heading into the mini-bye. Uh, my question to pose to Cardinal fans is that, is this Mike McCoy offense and the the underutilization of Larry Fitzgerald? Larry Fitzgerald's dad, Larry Fitzgerald Sr., is on Twitter tonight basically questioning Mike McCoy uh, and the Cardinals offensive staff, saying that his son's never gone more than six games without a touchdown. Larry didn't have a touchdown this year. He's got 176 yards receiving. Um, sure, he's been banged up, but at the same time, has not been utilized at all. And um, so it, it brings me to, to pose this question, is Mike McCoy going to force Larry Fitzgerald into retirement? Will Larry Fitzgerald rethink his, his you know, opportunity to, to re-sign during the season like he did last year based on the fact that Mike McCoy is, you know, essentially sabotaging the end of his career. Larry should be flourishing uh, with Josh Rosen right now. It's not happening. Um, and he's on pace for 563 yards receiving. I'm not sure that would put him all time. But I, I think it, you're, you're being talk, heard, you know, nationally talking about, is Larry Fitzgerald done? Is he finished? Larry Fitzgerald looks the same to me as he did last year, the year before. He's just being utilized differently. He's, He's not, not being, being prioritized. Thrown too much. And then they finally start throwing to him and using David Johnson in the fourth quarter. That's where they had their best drive of the season. Yep. Is, is Larry Fitzgerald season and career being cut short by Mike McCoy? That's my, that's my question for Cardinal fans. Yeah, I think for me, it's a, it might 
be. I think the injuries would be the biggest thing for Larry since he's there. But I think the lack of involvement might be an area where this is part of why I think you need to get Byron Leftwich in there of find out is it going to be fully on Larry or is it going to be on the offensive coordinator just not scheming or designing or knowing how the best to use him. Hopefully Byron Leftwich is in that situation of seeing from Arians and being able to kind of give it his shot because he's not nothing to lose. If this is a staff that's turning around at the end of the year and is leaving, <laughs> then you know that you're basically going to be good with uh, – hey, you know what, might as well give it my best shot, take some of these risks, take some of these chances, see if I can get an offensive coordinator job at least next year. Or if they decide to keep Steve Wilkes, at least without maybe you're the guy who ends up being the OC the, the next year as well. All right, and that'll just about do it here for the Bergen Blitz. John, can you tell everyone where to find you on Twitter? Yeah, I am just at Johnny's Football, uh, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, I'll be over at uh, revengeofthebirds.com. Actually, the article that I'm coming up with tomorrow is um, is kind of tied to like forward to the different reasons why we probably should have seen some of these struggles from this Cardinals team coming. Part of why, even right after he was hired, some of the kind of concerns and questions people had about Steve Wilkes. That'll be coming out at least for you uh, tomorrow morning. And some interesting kind of stats as far as with looking at the team. And as we talked about, you know, you hired a offensive coordinator you fired a head coach who wants to run the ball an offensive coordinator who's never really been able to effectively run the ball in his career and really just has been kind of a match made not in the desert of Arizona but just kind of not not a match made in heaven either for that all right thank you all for tuning in again we'll be making sure that we have this podcast up for you try to have some of the quick first reaction you make sure that you like and subscribe on apple podcasts also check us out on we're on stitcher uh, as well as far as the stitcher podcasts uh, you'll be able to look for us as well on Revenge of the Birds every single week. And make sure you follow and like us on, or follow us on the Bird Gang Blitz Twitter account as well. We posted all of the links to all of our shows will be there as well as interaction Q&As. Uh, make sure you're there. For On behalf of John, uh, Blake, and we're signing off for tonight. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. 
A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.